CPU, Children and Parents United, the non-profit charitable extension of the respondent. Me Too pushed a great cultural reset on the world. In many ways, her allegation helped ignite a firestorm. In the Me Too era, we now presume guilt instead of innocence. You are a white privileged male who has no oh, experience. It's a very important word. Change. It kind of lit a fire across this country. We all do the best we can. It's really okay however we responded. All of our life, we've been kicked around. We've been put in jail. We've been shot at. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. In this episode, I talk with the founder of Shared Parenting Scotland, an organization that helps parents navigate the authoritarian labyrinth of divorce court. He's been married for 30 years and has no intention of separating, and yet two grown-up daughters call him a professional single parent. He's a father, a family man, and a proud Scotsman. This week, Ian Maxwell is The Respondent. How do we hold space? Helpers extract meaning to America's most eloquent commentators. How can anyone have the right to speak their whole community? Why not? In this era of cancel culture. Simply because they think that it is censorship. How should men now respond? Hi, Ian. Thanks for joining me on The Respondent. Where are you located in Scotland? I'm in Edinburgh, uh, which is a very lovely city to live in. And I'm particularly fortunate that I live in Portobello, which is on the eastern edge of Edinburgh. So we're close to a beach, we're close to countryside, and yet we're only half an hour from the centre of town. So that's a rather nice place to be. Mm, Sounds idyllic. Did you grow up there? I did. I don't sound very Scottish, I don't think, but I am certainly born and bred in Edinburgh. I have lived elsewhere, but uh, I returned here and I'm going to stay here. (laughs) Good for you. As a happily married man of 30 years with two grown-up daughters, what led you to set up the Families Need Fathers and Shared Parenting Scotland charities? I've been working supporting parents and working with families for a long time, uh, previously with a charity called One Parent Family Scotland. And that means that it does give me um, an understanding as a parent of these issues. I know a lot of the people who work for fathers' organisations and shared parenting organisations have had their own problems in their own life. But uh, I think I can at least understand. It's not... I'm not saying that I know what it's like not to see your children or to be kept away from them because I've never had that experience. But I do know an awful lot about the difficulties that people face, particularly fathers. And um, when the opportunity came to set up a charity in Scotland um, as an offshoot of a UK charity, which had been going for more than 40 years, uh, I, I took that chance and I found it really interesting to be involved with a very small organisation. I like working with small charities because you get to do a bit of everything. Um, And it's also particularly if you're campaigning, 
it's really good if you're talking to a government minister or an official or something like that to be able to say, well, on, on our helpline, I heard this problem yesterday from a, a parent. So I've got, you know, I feel that I've got direct touch with the, uh, the issues. But at the same time, as a national charity, we can have some influence in, in, in what happens. Not, we can't change everything, but we can certainly push. Well, some would say, uh, I think, as I alluded to, uh, how can a married man possibly, a happily married man, possibly understand the pain and anguish of the separated fathers that they are trying to help and support. Did you have a personal tragedy that impacted you to want to help parents and particularly dads? No, I think I just moved. I had been working for charities for most of my career. I moved to the charity that was supporting single parents so I got to understand a lot of the issues, but I, I'm, I'm quite clear. I can't, I'm not saying to somebody, I share your pain. I understand what you're going through because I don't. I, um, I, but I've heard from so many fathers over the last 10 years about the struggles, about the, um, the stress and the agony and the despair that uh, I can at least understand um, that that is such a powerful issue. Uh, losing touch with your own child is such a, a horrible thing to happen, and it shouldn't. In you know, it, it should be far more difficult for that to happen, and it should be very. Um, there should be a lot more effort put into try and restoring the conditions. Uh, at the moment, we tolerate people being separated from their children for months, years, decades sometimes, which is not good. Yeah, it can't be good for our, our, our the community collective of our overall familial tapestry if we are encouraging or at the very least tolerating the breakdown of the family. Um, what challenges do, do separated fathers in Scotland face in ensuring that they are able to stay fully or more fully involved with their children? Well, like... Almost every country in the world, there is still a lack of understanding of the importance of fathers. And there's also this feeling that mothers are the most appropriate people to bring up children. That's not to say that mothers aren't good for children, because obviously they are. But having both a mother and a father involved is really important for children and young people because they get two different role models. Not even to say that, you, know, you you could say that the stereotypical role model of the mother being sort of caring and loving and the father being active and adventurous. Now, some families, it works completely differently. And some, in some, um, some families, the, the father is the caring, loving, close, cuddly one. But it is, um, and in Scotland, uh, when relationship break, relationships break down, and unfortunately, a lot of relationships break down, uh, more than half, and, and also more than half of children in Scotland now have unmarried parents. Uh, when the relationship breaks down, it is still so common for the children to stay with the mother. And if there is animosity, if there is hurt, uh, it can be very difficult for the father to remain involved. And being involved isn't just visiting the children on a Saturday or a Sunday 
or having them away for a week in the holidays, because that's not parenting. That's not bringing up your children. That's not helping them with homework. That's not wiping up their sick or um, holding their, their 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 heated brow when they're, they're ill. Um, and you know, the, there is this presumption that the father who gets every second weekend and half the holidays is okay. And that's that's just not the case. Yeah, I remember when I first looked into uh, Texas here in America, um, there is a... Uh, a, a system in place that in family law in Texas, that fathers who fight for the right to be involved and more involved, who, who are good fathers, who are good dads, they are involved and were involved before any kind of um, acrimony entered the, the, the situation. They fight to be involved in their kids' lives. And what tends to happen is a success or a victory um, is is seeing their kids every other weekend. The judges there do, really do focus on the matriarch being the sole provider of, of uh, a safe home and nurturing, a discipline and uh, meeting the needs and dependency of, of younger children, slightly older teens as well. And it, it does speak to, I think, a more cultural phenomena that seems to have been taking place recently is the shift towards the devaluation of fatherhood, the good father and the eternal mother. And, um, you know, I had uh, Caitlin Flanagan, who's a writer for The Atlantic on my show recently, and she she talked about um, it takes a mother to raise a boy, it takes a father to raise a man. And there is something in that rite of passage, that, that connectivity that's deep within the psychological... Um, sovereignty of the the child that 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 connects and needs to remain connected with the father for more than an every other weekend visit um a a distant uh image of dad at the back of the the school play in the last row or the appearance the solitary appearance on the sidelines of a footy pitch or soccer if we're in america um and the system that's set um, and it seems to not just be an American phenomena. It's um, a, a British phenomena, Scot Scotland, England, Wales, Ireland, European, um, even in the Southern Hemisphere, South America too. There is a, a, a distinct um, devaluation, of the, the devaluation of the very, very idea of men. And men are expendable. Um, they can work on job sites, hard labor, go down the pits in mines, uh, go to war. Um, all of the statistics support the fact that men uh, and fathers and dads are, are seemingly um, dying at higher rates. That's not to mention uh, mental health and suicide and um, the rates of suicide and the disparity of, of suicide. So what support does Shared Parenting Scotland provide to fathers who are in this situation or find themselves in, in the, the oftentimes completely perplexing and very desperate straits of uh, the family law system and who, and who don't know where to start in terms of accessing legal assistance or, or psychological assistance and navigating the complex and often myriad uh, biased ways that the world of family law works? 
Well, you get the inquiry that comes into our helpline quite a lot, which is, I've just split up. What are my rights? Because fathers, whether they're married or not married, um, often don't know what they're even entitled to. Um, And it's a good thing if the father rings us up at that stage, because we can advise them on how the system works. We can advise them on what to do and also what not to do, because obviously the last thing you want is to be shouting and bawling and showing your rage, even if you're the wrong person in in whatever's caused the split up. Um, Because if you do that, you may well find that you've got the police arresting you and taking you into the cells because you're a man and you've made a noise. Now, that's the, 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 the that's one of the things that we can do to help people. Unfortunately, a lot of the people who come to us are quite a lot further down the line. They are having to um, try and restore a relationship and uh, uh, spend far more time with their children or have their children um, far more. And we can then guide them through the process. Now, I know from a lot of the discussions you've had with other people that the the court process is probably not the place to put people unless you have to. But at the moment, if you aren't seeing your children, you can't negotiate uh, any sort of agreement with your ex-partner and the the children are actually living with your ex-partner, then unfortunately, you probably do have to move towards court. And we have, um, we now have quite good working relations with a number of family lawyers in Scotland. And what we feel is that the lawyer has got a role in family court cases that is quite different to in lots of other court action. If you're, if you're going to try and, you know, let's say chase up a debt or, or, or a defective building, um, bit of work with somebody, then your lawyer is going to fight on your behalf as hard as possible and get a win. But in family cases, nobody really wins in court because they're in court to um, sort out something which is not just a one-off occurrence. It's about the family arrangements for the rest of the children's life. And if you've got two lawyers throwing things at each other, that doesn't help anybody. Uh, We come across some lawyers who will just engage in aggressive correspondence and then will be throwing allegations backwards and forwards in court. And that is is really the worst thing that can happen. What we would say to people is if you can agree, if you can use a mediation service or some other dispute resolution, family, friends, whatever, to reach agreement, that's far better than ever going near the court. If you do have to go to court, you've got to come across as a father, as a sensible, upright, child-focused person. So it's not a case of going to the court and saying, I want my rights, because you won't get them, because you don't actually have these rights as such. But if you can go to court and show that you're a reasonable parent, and if you're lucky enough to get, uh, well, we call them sheriffs in Scotland or a judge who is slightly more modern and 
views the idea of fathers and mothers both having a, a strong role in families, then you may well get something reasonable out of court. But it might take you many months and it might cost you many thousands of pounds. And that's that's one of the other problems in the system. Yeah, the system seems inherently broken and um, it, it needs improving. Um, yeah. And I do concur. I think we have to keep parents out of court. Mm. That is the primary goal, is to keep the legal system out of um, a family breakdown. And, and that's particularly difficult because at a time when um, families need assistance and two warring factions or parents who aren't yes. getting along, um, I, the the communication breakdown has become insurmountable a lot of the time. And there are, there are accusations or heated emotions flying around. Yes. How do we make that connection? And I think that that conduit to relief, that initial conduit to relief, it cannot happen through the legal system because, mm. but each part, there are two parties involved and they are required by law to each be represented by a lawyer or an attorney. Yeah. So the challenge there, of course, Ian, is how do we find a way to, to implement a program or a model that is an intermediate intervention between and betwixt uh, mm. the, the legal system and the two parents who aren't getting along can't communicate? Because as you well know, just as well as I, a family system that comes together um, between a husband and a wife they are inherently creating a new family system born of two other hierarchical family systems. So yes. when, when, when these two parents family system, two parent family systems break down, it's not just the parents and the children who suffer. It's the entire family systems, plural. Yes. And if yes. a father is removed from the ability, and I'm, I'm not talking about the rare and it is rare, um, if, if we if we dive into the statistics, the rare situations where there is violence involved or there is abuse involved, I'm talking about the, the vast majority of cases where a father has been involved and many of whom have never had a criminal record. They are mm -hmm. cast as the villain. And as I like to yeah. sometimes say, the respondent, because we have the petitioner and the respondent. Yes. And they are forced to respond when their entire lives are crumbling because the meaning of their lives is their children. And they, they're used to the routine, the routinization of seeing their kids and being involved. So how, how we can better formulate a way, because mediation is one way. You mentioned mediation, yeah. but even yeah. mediation is is rife with attorneys and lawyers who retired and became mediators and, and judges who retired and became mediators and they're high priced. And so the incentivized churning within the system to keep the yeah. money yeah. 
you know, within it's almost like highway robbery of family estates where mm. sometimes mm. the attorneys come together and the mediators come together and they look at the value because they have access to it. They say, oh, the estate's worth this much. We can we can keep this case going for five or six months and then we'll we'll sod off richer than before. And who cares about the family? And you mentioned the despair, the existential yeah. terror sometimes of suddenly being accused of a crime that you haven't committed and you don't get the presumption of innocence over, uh, having become almost destitute, maybe lost your livelihood and your job and access to the meaning of your life, which is your children. So the, the lack of okay, concern well, I hear in society is so, it's so deep. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well. Let me let me be slightly more optimistic than than this very bleak picture you're you're, you're painting. Um, there are there have there have been changes in the last 10, 20 years moving forward. Um, if you if you go back twenty years, you had fathers having to prove their worth to get even closely into the into the, get even slightly back into the family. Whereas now you don't have to stand up and just prove how how wonderful you are. But I would agree that the, the current courts in a lot of countries are not aren't by any means ideal. There are a number of relatively simple changes that can be made. One difference between the courts in the UK and I think most of the American courts and the courts in Europe is moving from um, a confrontational system, an adversarial system, to an inquisitorial system, where a judge is examining what's going on rather than opposing lawyers putting up arguments and counter-arguments. Now, that obviously requires that you've got judges who know what they're doing, who've got modern attitudes, who are willing to be equal-minded. But that, in a stroke, would take out some of the mudslinging that goes on. Uh, you, you may well still involve lawyers because people aren't particularly good at um, understanding how a court works, what they have to do. But the lawyer's role will be changed very much from being just the, the, the hired assassin, if you like, to being the, the facilitator. Um, so that, and, and, and if you compare some European court systems with, with the uh, adversarial courts that we have, you can see that immediately you do get slightly different results. Another big change, and this is what we were trying to do in Scotland in um, over the last couple of years, is to include in the law a what's called a rebuttable presumption. And the word rebuttable, unfortunately, is something that very few people understand and quite a lot of people misrepresent. If you have a rebuttable presumption of shared parenting... That means that when you go to court, the first option is going to be a fairly equal split of the children's time between the two parents. Because, and one can point to a lot of research evidence that shows that this is almost always 
the best option for children in separated families. Uh, there's now been a lot of research, including in some of the countries where there's already a reasonable amount of shared parenting. So you've actually got quite a large group of people to study. And both there have been studies with very young children, there have been studies with teenagers, and they will say that there are all sorts of benefits for, for, for the children of um, equal sharing. Maybe not, doesn't have to be exactly 50-50, but you want to have, let's say, at least 30-35% of the time spent with each of the parents. And that has got advantages in terms of the behaviour, in terms of educational achievement. And some of the studies have even followed through to these children as they grow up and it helps them in their own adult life, in their own relationship forming, if they've got a reasonable pattern rather than a very skewed pattern to, to model on. So the story as far as we're concerned in Scotland, we looked elsewhere. We looked particularly to Belgium because Belgium has had a presumption of shared parenting in their law since 2006. And that has meant that the proportion of court disputes that end up with a decision of shared parenting still isn't 100%, but it's somewhere about 50-60%, depending on which of the Belgian courts you go to. And that is way far above the sort of results we would get from court in, in Scotland. We had a review of family law in Scotland last year. And this is where I've got to be um, maybe clarified for, for, for some people. Scotland, although it's still part of the United Kingdom and still has comes under the Westminster government, Scotland has its own legal system, its own courts, its own judges, its own education system. And for the last 20 years, we've had our own parliament sitting in Edinburgh. So the laws, most of the laws that apply to people in Scotland are those coming from the Scottish parliament. Some things like foreign policy and, and um, employment law are done at a UK level, but a lot of our family law is all Scottish family law. So we had a law that was passed in 1995, and which was in its day quite progressive, but uh, 25 years on, uh, the lot has changed in, in, in family systems. So we were lobbying during the course that this of this legislation passing through the Scottish Parliament last year, we were trying to introduce a rebuttable presumption of shared parenting into Scottish law. But we encountered a fair bit of opposition to this. And from who? Well, from the domestic violence lobby, I would say primarily, because there is just as you've you've come across the the, the sort of um, very strong arguments that are going on at the moment about parental alienation and about whether or not parental alienation actually exists, and which is utter, which argument, is which is frankly utter nonsense. It, it is. It, it, when I found yes. out that there was a there was a 
I recently found out there was a disagreement about the existence of parental alienation. Mm. Like, can we just, can we just move past that yes. and actually talk about the pain that's going on, the psychological pain and children yes. and children's human, basic human rights to be connected to mm. their parents mm. Mm. and mm. find ways to actually hold people accountable who are alienating and targeting the other parent. Very difficult to do, not saying it's easy on the legislative solution to the dilemma of, uh, separate parents, the concept of equal shared parenting, parenting time, or a rebuttable 50-50 yes. parenting presumption. It, uh, my feeling is it, it absolutely, and I, and I say absolute in absolution, it should start from a baseline 50-50. Inherently what's wrong, I see, and, and we can discuss the different uh, jurisdictions and countries and the laws, but inherently what I see wrong with the system from the top down, is that there is no presumption of innocence. There is no due diligence, no, no, no due process. And if you start from a place, if there's any acrimony and any, any situation that would bring law enforcement, the police into a family and into a family mm. home, if someone has committed a crime, they should be arrested and charged with a crime. What tends to happen is people are detained and they are questioned. And by that time, they may have been removed from their home, have no access yeah. to their home. This is an issue. So what 50-50 shared parenting, the baseline of parenting does, is it says, look, we, we the family law court, are not going to tip our hats one way or the other to have someone wearing a whiter hat or a blacker hat. There's no mm. bad or good. We start there. And that, to me, is the crux of how the system should be so that both parents yeah. both parents get to spend 50-50 time. And if one parent wants or feels or needs or thinks they deserve or there's reasons for getting more time, that default presumption can be challenged in court. That would make it less likely to have false allegations of domestic violence, because this is mm. the misnomer that the, I think there's a difference between the equality feminists and the third and fourth wave feminists who trump up this agenda to get mm. the money from the, the government to um, finance their organizations and campaigns where all men bad, all men are physically violent and the statistics are all skewed. And yes. ultimately, you know, looking at the statistics here in America, um, upwards of 72% of domestic violence claims against fathers and men are false. Mm. What mm. happens to those seven out of 10 people who've made that false claim? Yeah. I would hazard yeah. to say very little. Yeah. And what happens to the, the father most mm. of the time who's, who's been targeted by that false claim? They are shackled in prison, mm. lose their job, their reputation. Yeah. And there is no way to come back. So I think this equal shared parenting baseline rebuttable speaks yeah, to the presumption yeah, yeah. of innocence and the innocence of the child mm. and how they yeah. shouldn't be involved. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we were, I mean, we had a lot of discussion with people in Belgium. We managed to get a Belgian judge to speak to some of our MSPs during the course of the legislation. And her message was that... Um, it's actually been helpful for the judges in Belgium because it gives them a clear pattern rather than having to take every case from start and think, well, how many days should we give him or, or her? And she also, another another change, which I think we, we've not quite got to, 
Um, a lot of the judges in Belgium are younger. A lot of them are female in the family court. And they, I think, have a more up-to-date understanding of how society works. Unfortunately, we um, men have become far more involved with their families over the last few decades. I mean, if you go back a generation or two, men didn't even weren't allowed in the berth and they 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 sat outside the delivery room with a cigar and that was that was their contribution to the process right i cut the That's, umbilical cords yes. with my two sons i was, well, I was right there you know yes yes exactly well this is happening and when you when your families are still intact men are more and more involved and in fact covid will probably bring this even further on because employment patterns are changing dramatically it may well be that women have got more chance of employment um, in reasonable jobs in, in in coming years than men but as soon as separation breaks up that family you revert to this um pattern of men as the providers and women as the the homemakers and and this is this is but some countries this has moved um we so why does scotland lag behind many other european countries in terms of uh, the levels of shared care found in separate separated families Scotland is around about the average. Um, I saw a study very recently. This was a study of adolescents, so it wasn't of whole families, but it was using um, quite large amounts of data. And it was showing that Scotland and the rest of the UK being about 5 or 6% of adolescents in separated families were in 50-50 care. Whereas you go to countries like Sweden, which usually comes top of the list, in Sweden, if you separate, it has become the norm to stay involved, for both parents to stay involved and to share the care. Um, some of the other Scandinavian countries, Denmark, Iceland, and so on, again, that seems to be more of the pattern. And it's you can't change these things just by changing the law. There's a lot to do with the way that society works. That's right. There are factors like... Um, the father's getting far more um, paternity leave when a child is born and getting paternity leave that's that's paid rather than, um, you know, well, you can have the time, but you're not going to get paid for it. Uh, and you can you can almost chart the, the, the paternity leave uh, provision in a country and correlate that with the, the levels of shared parenting. And, and we can, I mean, we are moving in the right direction, but we're doing it in a frustratingly slow and ponderous fashion. That's well, the, the, that's the thing the... that's frustrating about the slow and ponderous fashion is I can speak to America every day in America, mm. 10 divorced men take their own lives. Yes. Every, every eight hours, the courtrooms are open yes. and the doors open yes. for business and close for business. 4,000 children lose a parent. Mm. These are numbers that, that that should be startling people in our society yes. in, and shocking them into action. And yet there is this yeah. lethargy yeah. of thought. And I do agree with you about the societal change, because once society starts valuing the family unit again and saying, you know what, this this causality, this is causing effect, a ripple effect of mm. behavior across every part of our, yes. um, uh, our society and the nations that, that that aren't getting it and aren't getting it quick enough. What's yes. the UNCRC 
Can you explain the UNCRC? <laughs> well, we, we're about to implement the UNCRC, the United uh, Nations uh, Convention of the Rights of the Child, into Scottish law. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of legislation going through the Scottish par- Parliament at the moment. What that means is that children will have a lot more say, they'll have a lot more chance to be told in in an understandable way how things work. And also lots of legislation and public services will be um, measured against a children's rights um, perspective. Uh, They will be assessed as to whether or not they're improving the conditions for children. I'm not sure this is a good thing, though, Ian. Well, no, I think there's a lot in the UNCRC that, that, I mean, for instance, one of the the principles in the UNCRC is that children should remain in touch with both parents. What does that mean, though, in touch? Uh, a quick email once every couple well, of weeks. No, no, well, we're bringing you, you, in another. We're bringing in another organisation, yes, yes. another body, or another establishment mm. to to mm. suggest that they know better than parents how their children should be raised. I don't think that's a good thing. Mm. I mean, the Scottish government set out an ambitious plan in 2018 mm-hmm. to implement the provisions of the UNCRC in its reform mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. children's rights, and in September 2020, claimed that the UNCRC would be enshrined into. Scots law. Current <laughs> Scottish legislation effectively prevents implementation of Article 7 of UNCRC, which states that every child has the right to be registered at birth, to have a name and nationality, and as far as possible, to know and be cared for by their parents. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. can the Scottish government claim to follow the principles of the UNCRC when they refuse to properly recognise that parental alienation exists? They don't. Well, the government has not refused to acknowledge it. The government usually sidesteps the argument. Certainly, there well, is not a refusal of acknowledgement, sidestepping the argument. Yeah. Well, interestingly, we we managed to get parental alienation, the wording included into guidance that was in in, in the family law to do with the the people who uh, prepare reports for court about um, about um, uh, contact cases. The the words were used in in the guidance, and then there was a lot of um, um, backlash on that. And they now, I think, tend to use alienation, but not put the parental beside it. This is why everything moves so ridiculously slow, because it's seen as a victory to get the words parental alienation in, and then we remove parental, and it's just alienation. Sure. Well, I tell you what is what is vital is that we deal with the problem. I don't think we should get caught up in the terminology if we have processes that can deal with children who are uh, are, are rejecting a parent without good reason. And I think that the way forward as a campaigner, rather than take headlong this battle to get the words parental alienation included into legislation, or indeed, as they have done in Brazil and one or two other countries, they have made it um, parental alienation a, a sort of a criminal offence. I think it's far more important to get the proper processes within the law and within the courts to deal with it and to deal with it quickly. Well, and I, I think don't. Some I, courts, you and I yes, are going to. 
You and I probably, I, I disagree with you. I think that uh, when you say the it, we have to define what the it is. And it is parental alienation. The World Health Organization recognized it in 2019. And if we're getting into the, the weeds of, well, let's not argue about what it's called. Let's give a little, let's just call it alienation. I mean, you were pushing for a change in terminology from residence orders and contact orders within Scottish family law ref- reform to parenting or children's orders with a view to focusing minds on parenting rather than arguing. What were the proposed changes in respect to the provisions within the content of those orders that help further promote shared parenting? Mm. Um, sorry, I've lost, I've lost your, your, your question. What, what were the proposed there? changes in respect to the provisions within the content of those orders that, that, that help mm. further promote mm. shared parenting? Because that does seem yeah. an oxymoron yeah. here. Well, I understand the, the, why we want to shift yes, the focus to yes, the children, yes. but ultimately it's the parents, the parents, as parents, we have a fundamental right, okay, to see, be, be with our children and, and our family. And the state should not be allowed to step into our home and trample our rights. Whether we be a Scotsman, an Englishman, or a, or a fine American or a Canadian, wherever, wherever we are. And yet this is happening so often. And it is about parents' rights, to, to be to be the care, major caregivers for their children, right? Is it parents' rights or children's rights? I think Both. that is an important question. Both, but who looks over the children's rights? The parents, primarily. Okay, I don't want anyone else in front of me as a father, or if I'm a mother, stepping in with the right to tell me what my children, how my children should be raised. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. primarily. Yeah, yeah. Well, do you disagree? I'm, do you think it's well? I'm, 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 I'm trying to take a route that, as a campaigner, as somebody who's trying to change a system, I've got to understand what the blockages are. You asked me this question earlier. One of the major blockages in us getting that that rebuttable presumption was this domestic violence lobby, and they they made ridiculous statements, such as saying that more than half of the cases in court are about domestic violence completely forgetting that, A, they were basing this on one isolated study from 2006 of about 300 families, B, that the mention of domestic violence doesn't mean that domestic violence has happened. Uh, In a lot of cases, there's an allegation of domestic violence in order to gain an upper hand in a court case. And there is there are studies to show that this is, I'm not saying you know, domestic violence does exist, but it maybe doesn't exist to the same, to the level as some people um, are, are um, protesting. But the, um, the members of parliament who had to put that law through, they are not going to do something that they feel is dangerous. And unfortunately, danger is the thing that has been really brought into this debate. The law as it stands, both in Scotland and in other places, is not saying you can't have shared parenting, but it's not saying it's a good thing. And while I think Belgium and a number of other countries and one or two states in America have managed to pass shared parenting laws, um, I'm not going to put all my efforts into changing the law because that's only one of the things that will um, affect the lives of these separated families. 
I, I am going to put a lot of effort into collecting the voices of children. And I think the voice, this is again where we're coming back to the children's rights argument. And this was the big mistake we made in our campaigning in Scotland. The domestic violence lobby used the voices of particular children who had experience of domestic violence and were very effective with that. If we had managed to bring in children who had been separated from their parent and then had regained contact later in life and really regretted missing many years of that parent uh, being involved with them, we could have presented a far stronger, a far more emotive argument. And uh, going back in it, I should have spent far more time trying to rally the voices of children in the arguments we were making. If I just say that use the argument that fathers have a right to see their children, unfortunately, that's not nearly as strong. So it, it is very much about using um, the arguments that will have most force with the politicians you've got. Yeah, I understand the nuances. And look, this is, I know you're discussing, you know, the, the messaging of a movement and an organisation and how you counteract and uh, the, um, the, the subtle yet important nuances of um, how you position statements and movements. I get all that. I do understand all that. My belief is there's just too much of that going on and has been for decades where we've beaten around the bush. And I mean, you know, where we talk about, what are we calling it now? Coercive control, alienation, parental alienation. Look, it's been the, the, the standard terminology for a long time, parental alienation. I know it's difficult when we talk about rebuttal, mm. equal shared parenting, 50-50 mm. in a starting place. And we can all get and but the notion, and I don't disagree mm. with you about yeah. the, the stories that we can share in terms of educating people better and getting people on the side of movements that um, are really, in the, I believe, fundamentally and profoundly are in the best interests of the children and the parents, both mothers and fathers. Mm. Because mm. although fighting for fathers, it's not, you know, demonizing fathers is not the solution. That's yeah. the problem you know, yeah, yeah. and valuing fathers as well. Does changing mm. the terminology make a real difference yeah. to parents yeah. who are in yeah. a bit of dispute if the content of the orders, the legislation does not change sufficiently to reflect mm. the intention mm. of the terminology? For example, here in America, equal shared parenting, finally, uh, through groups like the Center for Parental uh, Responsibility and Women for Shared Parenting, they were able to, to uh, get equal shared parenting through the legislative uh, branch in Arizona. And yet the attorneys and lawyers and family law firms pretty quickly found a way to get around the terminology. So I don't necessarily think this nuanced battle of verbiage mm. and words and our vo vocabulary and vernacular is as important as I believe some people, perhaps mm. you yeah. think it is, because ultimately there's going to be arguments made by the scurrilous group on the other side who want to... Yeah project that the statistics of domestic violence are way higher than yes. they actually are. Yes. So there oh, has yeah. to be some sort of way to cut through the rhetoric and say, nonsense, it's nonsense. Mm. Um, mm. And, and how we can get on the same page and move yeah. forward and say, look, yeah. this is not, parental alienation is brainwashing. So if children have been mm. brainwashed, whether they be four or seven or nine or 11 years old, when there's acrimony and there's a targeting parent who's doing that brainwashing and alienating, that child will have 
a a distrust, a dislike, and a fear, and a a sense of betrayal if they talk about the other parent in a positive way. So, of yeah. course, they're going to share stories. So, yes, finding a pair, finding a child that has then been reconnected or unerased by the other parent or the targeted parent. That those stories are important, but those children are going to be older, so it's not going to play at the heartstrings mm. in terms of the media messaging as, as the yeah. other stories are. So you, you have yeah. huge challenges with mm. them, Ian. As I'm sure. Well, let, let, well let, let me tell you of a couple of other things that we're doing in Scotland, which I think are making a difference. Um, one thing uh, that is important is in, in changing this whole. Um, image of the role of men and women is what happens in early years in childcare. If you look at the staff, the people who are working in nurseries and primary schools, a very high proportion of them are women. And for quite a long time now, we've had a move in Scotland to train up men to work in childcare, um, get round the problems that often men faced where you've got one male student in a class of 30 um, childcare students, uh, that's not an easy position to be in because you're on your own. If you've got a bit of, and we've got schemes to provide the support, to encourage more men to get involved, to help them with the pre-qualification needs. And that is gradually increasing the ratio of men um, in, in, in early years, because children who see all this caring work in, in schools done by women will get the impression that it is one's job. Whereas if they have even one male carer in their, in the, the, their nursery school or their primary school, that gives them the feeling that, no, it isn't just a woman's job. It's a job for w- women and men. Um, so that that that's one move, and that's been going. We've you know we've been gradually increasing the proportion in Scotland over the years, and we've seen from other countries such as the Scandinavian countries where they've they're quite a lot further on than us. They have managed to make a far more gender balanced workforce in that area. That's one thing. Another area that we have been using, we're, we're, we're at the moment, um, we have a petition system in the Scottish Parliament where anyone can raise a petition, which will get debated. And we, we've got a petition going in the Scottish Parliament at the moment to try and ensure that the standards that are um, put into place for people who are supporting children in um, cases where the children are being um, supported, where, where children are are uh, have been alleged to be part of, um, of domestic abuse. Our worry is that children are often being told they've been abused when they haven't been. And that speaks um, back to the, what I was talking about—the rights. You know, we've, we focus solely on the rights of the child. Those rights should be the conduit through the parent. The parents know their children best, the family. I mean, sure, Scotland's introduced the role of parent, uh, parenting coordinators, right? It's a, 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 I think that concept was developed in the USA and it's now mm-hmm. mirrored in Canada, South Africa, 
and England. Yeah. Are these parenting coordinators given training in uh, well, um, things like the, parental alienation? We, if not, how effective we, can such can such a role truly be if the issue is not recognised and addressed? Well, we that role? we don't we don't have parenting coordinators started in the USA, and they've now spread to Canada, South Africa, a couple of other. There are a few of them in 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 England, although not very many. If the, the, the standards for parenting coordinators do include training in issues like um, parental alienation. And certainly if we, if we brought in parenting coordinators in Scotland, we would try and make sure that that was a key part of their training. Child welfare reporters who are preparing reports for court about children in Scotland, the legislation which passed last year includes standards for training and oversight of these people. And we're going to make jolly sure that the training that they do will include a strong element of understanding and and um, uh, uh, of awareness of parental alienation alongside all the other things that they're going to be trained in. Because yes, Good. you're quite right. You you know if if you if you don't give people that understanding when they're doing really important jobs trying to decide what's best for children, then they're going to come up with the wrong, uh, the, the, the wrong um, outcomes. Yes, of course, because children's minds, young minds are malleable. And you sit with a, a, an adult and you are asked questions in a leading way. Uh, as much as the adult may not even think at times that they're being leading. And children want to appease this strange person of authority and power with a clipboard or whatever it is comes in and sits down and starts asking questions. You want to satisfy them. You want to make them happy. You want to be seen that you're being a good kid. And um, that's, when, that's when really heinous um, groups of allegations are made about um, sexual abuse and domestic violence. And that's really, really terrifying. And we should be really mindful of that. We have, we have a very firm procedures for investigation of, of child sexual abuse in Scotland. It has to be done in particular ways. The, the whole nature of the questions that are asked are quite strictly strictly regulated. And I think that is that is a very important protective factor because it's very difficult to ask a young child what has happened to, to get anything approaching accurate results. And it's it's important for both the children who have been abused to get that understood and dealt with, and also for the children who haven't been abused to have it clearly ruled out. And, and you know, both, both sides of that are, 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 are crucial. And perhaps we should spend some time actually uh, interviewing the parent who's made the allegation as well to find out the basis of the allegation, the nature of the allegation, the family history, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, because t- there's way too many false allegations taking place, and these silver bullets of child abuse and physical abuse and domestic violence are the easy, quick win strategy many times in family law, and they ruin uh, fathers and good good fathers and parents and mothers sometimes as well, um, and and steal the childhoods of the children away, and that's that's horrific. Um, how can advances be made in relation to advocating for for shared parenting when it's all too easy for false allegations to be made, often encouraged by family lawyers, which inherently lead to one parent being alienated from their child? Mm-hmm. Well, you need to be acting on th- things quickly because the longer you leave it, the more difficult it is to 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 
um, undo the damage. One of the family mediation organisations in Scotland has been doing a lot of work on how you do um, uh, ask, how you do investigate things with children. And they're very clear. They don't want to see a child once and ask them questions. They want to see the child several times because they know quite clearly that if you talk to the, if a strange person, a strange official or whatever talks to a child, um, it's very likely that the child will say whatever the child has either been prompted to say or what the child thinks is appropriate to the circumstances. So if you if you are interviewing a child, you need to see a child several times to build up a working relationship and to move on from that initial message to something that's closer to the truth. And you want to be able to explore with that child why they're saying particular things, um, what what it is that might have caused them to say that I hate my dad or I hate my mum and I'm never going to speak to them. And and realise as well that at times children say that even when they love their, even just because kids are kids. Oh, yes, yes, right? yes. I hate you, Dad. I hate you, Mom. I mean, that's kids being kids. So, you know, this notion that we should step in as establishments of authority to interview children based on hearsay? It has to be done in a very skilled and and proficient way. Well, what would you say? A, what would you say is the the evidence that required that the law enforcement or the police sh- should be required for them to receive to actually do it, make an investigation? Should it just be hearsay evidence? Should someone be allowed mm-hmm. to call in an accusation or go into the local police <laughs> station and say, "My partner has done X, Y, Z"? Is that enough? Well, of course. I mean, hearsay is never is it never should be enough because hearsay it is, is in one family person. law. Though that's yes. the that's the that's yeah. the line. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and the the and I think courts in some parts of the world and in some jurisdictions are actually starting to to understand this. Um, I listened to a talk by some Canadian. Um, academics recently who were talking about a court system which brought together the the judges, the lawyers, the social workers, the child psychologists to work together when you got a, a situation like that to try and understand what is happening and to try and support the children and the parents to move through a, a confrontation like that and to restore the ch- the the, the children's relations with the parent that they'd rejected. And the system is is yeah. not set up that way. Mm. It is a no, it's not. Well, it is in a very few places, but, but it should be everywhere. Yes. It's not yes. a few cases. I'm talking about the system. The, the, the legal system of family law is is hearsay evidence, which is guilty till proven innocent or oftentimes more guilty. The burden of proof is not on the accuser, it's on the accused. This is Salem witch trial time. This is Spanish Inquisition. So no matter how many people we bring together within a system, if the system doesn't, doesn't structurally reform, it's, it's piecemeal and it's tiny. And this is the point I'm making. Unless we, go, unless we approach the systemic root of this issue, which is still mind-boggling to me, that we have these minutiae conversations about how we can how we can fight to get one word or two words. It's alienation or parental alienation. Rather than having this discussion that says that there is a branch of family, there's a branch of law that does not afford due process, due diligence, 
and the presumption of innocence. And it's the branch of law we need it the most, which is family law. And why aren't people barking at the hilltops on mountaintops about that rather than getting in the weeds of, well, you know, we've won a minor victory that it's, it's now we've agreed it's alienation. It may not be parental. Why aren't people? Hmm. Are we going to just be prattling around, having minor conversations with people and deciding the vernacular and the words? Are we actually going to do something, speak up and say, this is wrong. We are literally, and I mean it literally, stealing people's freedoms and liberties, okay, parents in family units. We are kidnapping children. We are, they, they, we are allowing and enforcing laws that kidnap children. And we are murdering families. I know that sounds hyperbolic and dramatic. It's true. People are dying. So why are we, are, why are we having a discussion about the terminology of a word? It's consistently frustrating that there's this polite nature of skirting around the issues rather than saying, no, it's wrong. If criminals and rapists get the presumption of innocence, why don't parents? Can you tell me? I... I'm not sure I completely, I mean, I think that the, you're quite right that allegations are are, are um, a major issue in, in these types of cases. And as I was saying before, changing the nature of the way the court deals with it rather than incentivizing people to make allegations would, would be one, one difference. Um, would you agree that's the major issue? How we deal with allegations, because they are allegations, and how we approach them in terms of the accuser and the accused. The jurisprudence that is set in our society should be afforded to parents and families and children, no? And, well, th- th- there is also a major problem, certainly in our country and, and, and in quite a few others, of even when you manage to get the courts to order something, to order the, the contact arrangements for a child, if that is flouted, um, if the child is not... Yeah, I know, that comes down the line. Yes, we can't, in- we can't enforce it. I get that. And people spend hundreds of thousands of pounds sometimes. And it's... You know, but my point is, going back to my point, would you agree that the major issue with family law is that there isn't the presumption of innocence? Mm. I mean, I'm trying to get a simple yes or no, whether you, because it, it's, it's the issue as far as I'm concerned. It's the issue. And if we're going to be in this space and we're going but to talk you, about but, it and we're going to be real about it. Yeah, but you, you, you if you... What what do you mean by innocence? The presumption of innocence, you, jurisprudence, how we approach yes. an allegation and a crime. Okay, so if yeah. there's an yeah, allegation, but we're, but of we're a not crime, but we're not talking about criminal courts here. We're, what we're talking that's about precisely is my parents point. parents who have a dispute, and they go to the court in order to get a decision because they can't make that decision themselves. No, Ian, frankly, listen, frankly, if, if there's a dispute and someone is claiming there is violence, domestic violence, whether violence takes place in the pub, on the beach, in the workspace or at home, particularly in the home, in a domestic setting, that should be a criminal offence. And the perpetrator should be questioned and either charged or released. It should not be tried in family law. 
It's that simple. Do you agree with that? Yeah, well, but you you will get. I'm, there's lots of arguments about pro- you proportion of yes. But let's say, for instance, that twenty percent of cases in in the family courts are there is domestic violence taking place, which maybe is a more is is, is way below the estimates that get 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 bandied around. Um, you need to deal with that alongside making decisions about what's happening with children. And you've got you. I would well one one of the English the the head judge of the family division in in the English courts um, in um, a meeting last autumn said that he reckoned that thirty to forty percent of the cases that were appearing in court should never have been there because they were about people arguing about the minutiae of how their what their contact should work. Now, if you can take those cases out of court, if you can act quickly, if you look at um, in Cochem in Germany, there was a judge who decided things were not working well. He collaborated with the other, the lawyers, the social workers and so on, and he laid down the law. He said that if you have got a dispute, I want to have one page of evidence about it, not sort of 50 sheets of... of, of As you and I both know, this is, this is not the norm. This is so, so, so rare. And I understand why you're bringing it up and why it's important to you in the organisation to bring it up. But that's like one out of probably a million cases where that sort of thing would happen. And that's why you're bringing it up. It's so rare that a judge would change the system. I'm talking about the the majority of cases that doesn't happen. And overall, if there isn't a presumption of innocence, and you say this should be tried side by side or alongside, if there's an allegation, no. A criminal offence, an offence of violence should be tried in criminal court. People should have their rights. You talk about children's rights and shifting the the signalling and the messaging in terms of the organisation and how you get the messaging out there. How about we talk about rights, humans' rights, citizens' rights? Everyone should have the right to jurisprudence. If we are accused of a crime... We can be questioned, we can be detained and questioned, and then we should be charged. And if we're charged, we have our day in court, in criminal court. Yes, yeah. I'm not disagreeing with you at all. I think that that, and a criminal court will then use the evidential procedures to to work out whether or not somebody has committed something. And and, and although sometimes it's not easy in a criminal court, there are very well-established processes for that. And... I'd be quite happy to separate off the criminal processes from this civil decision-making process that courts often get left with. And I would, I would take a lot of these decision-making out of the courts. I would, it, would, it should be done in, in a, a far less um, confrontational arena. way. Yes, yes, that's right. And, but the reason I was mentioning Cochum and, and Judge Rudolph, because he did actually succeeded. He he said that he wanted a single page of that argument. He wanted to hear the case within two weeks. And if it wasn't resolvable within two weeks, he'd sit again in two weeks until it had got it. And that is the contrast with 
so many court systems where it takes you several months to even get the case before a judge and that that's that's the difference and we need we need family courts that work properly for the parents and children not family courts that are just offshoots of the 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 general process because the what what you're trying to do in a family court is quite different from what you're trying to do in a in a dispute or a criminal matter that goes to court it's it, it it's um, it's a far more and it, it requires whether you call them judges or mediators or arbitrators, it requires people who are specialised in it, who are making very difficult decisions sometimes, and who have got the knowledge and the understanding. And we're moving in that. We are getting some judges in the system in the fact that they, you know, that they are, but they are still in a minority. And I think we want, we want, Countries throughout the world are looking at the way they run their family law system. Singapore is looking at it. Australia is looking at it. Portugal is looking at it. A very good judge in Israel has been putting forward ideas like this. So it, and that's why I'm saying I'm optimistic because the, there is there is a wind of change going on. It may not be people marching in the streets, and I'm afraid I don't go with the argument that you know we need to have a sort of revolutionary change in order to make this. I think it, it's slow. I don't either. More. I don't think a revolutionary change is is the way to go. I'm just talking about the rhetoric and the and the wording that we use in terms of let's be honest about this. Let's let's actually talk about this in an honest way of what's happening to families and children and parents and not beat around the bush and people's human parents human rights are being trampled and they shouldn't be you know if two people if two people have acrimony and they want to end their marriage why should the state step in with all its force and adjudicate and administer that's that's where the swedish system seems to to show it's not very few cases end up in courts in Sweden. And in I think in Sweden and in other Scandinavian countries, they have specialist um, family courts rather than the main, uh, the, all coming under the main yep. system. Because the, the, the As society usual, we look to Scandinavia on. for, for yes. the, uh, yeah, I know, the family I know. law it's... and so the education <laughs> system, Finland, with yep. uh, introducing phenomenological-based learning about four years ago. I mean, they're bold yep. in yep. terms of their social policy oh, change. Yes. And we yes. need to be more like that. So I commend you, you know, mm. greatly commend you for the efforts that you've made, that you're making, you continue to make. It's um, it's It's really noble of you, and I really do appreciate it. Um, but, but you're right. You're right to to push us as well because we 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 shouldn't be complacent, and that's why I'm saying we we didn't make the arguments strongly enough or use the right arguments when we were seeking to get the law changed, and we missed an opportunity which we we, we won't get again for another. Well, you do you do the best you can, and you're up against the system. I talked about it before. Before in America, it's close to a sixty billion dollar a year industry and the American divorce machine and the two major lobbying groups, one of which is the divorce in uh, the, the attorney and family law industry lobbying groups of attorneys and lawyers. And the other one being the, um, the more uh, radical postmodern progressive third and fourth wave feminist groups who rail about um, men's violence and domestic violence. And, you know, I've seen in England recently, uh, 
I think the last year there was a bill introduced, the domestic abuse bill uh, for women and girls. And I'm like, okay, so we're not going to protect baby boys and teenage boys and um, transgender and non-binary people and gay men. I mean, really, really, that's how we're, how we're going to move forward. We, we, don't we want equality? So no, we don't. We're going to have a bill um, that um, just specifically speaks to women and girls. That's just, that's just not equality, is it? Um, so the, the, the last part of the show, I play, I play a fun game. Hopefully you'll play along. It's called the philosophical cue. Um, this is the part of the show where we get to know you just a little bit better. We go a little deeper. Uh, we get eclectic within the dialectic. Don't be worried. I know you maybe are. And we see what's in the philosophical cue. It's Socrates' greatest axiom was know thyself. Ian Maxwell, how well do you know thyself? Let's find out, shall we, as we play the philosophical cue. Okay, so the meaning seeker. Everything happens for a reason we make up afterwards. That's our definition of meaning on the respondent. Where does Ian Maxwell find meaning? I find meaning in helping others to improve things. And I've, I've campaigned on lots of things in my life. I've campaigned against smoking in pu- public places. I've campaigned for more cycling and, and, and less motor traffic. And I think that um, that's maybe being very, you know, purist and, and, and idealistic, but I think it is worthwhile trying to change society in ways that look as if they're the best, you know, the, the better way to go. So I, I, I would, I was really encouraged because the people who were campaigning about public smoking 20 years ago thought it was going to take forever to change. And then almost overnight, things changed. Now, I, I'm, for, I'm, I'd be, I, I'm not sure that the, the issues that we're facing in shared parenting Scotland will be changed overnight. But I think there is, there is a, uh, we shouldn't assume that the current state is going to be sticking with us forever. What's the most meaningful moment of your life? Birth of a child. Good answer. I think that's that is that is because you feel that you're you're contributing more than you more than yourself. Mm. Birth of two children. <laughs> the um, the urbane pioneer, I call this. Where do you go for your fantastic neuroplastic urbane monastic? Simply put, where do you go to find solace? I go on my bicycle. And I see countryside or whatever. It's it, it's I don't know what it is, but it's it, it it's about being in control of something, but not having to depend on a motor or a public transport vehicle. You, you can you can move distances and see things on a bicycle. Uh, the enlightened trailblazer. If you had one wish, what would it be? I would. Well, I would like to see Scotland as an independent country because I think a country of five million should be in charge of what it's doing. Fair enough. The sense maker, how do you make sense of a family law system that is structured to further separate families? I don't think it is, but I think it should be. I think there are 
there's lots that could be improved in it. Um, I, I I don't think from I don't think it's separating from, but it 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 is the presumption that men are not equal with women in bringing up children is is wrong. Well, I believe it's fundamentally structured to separate families. Um, I think, uh, and I say this respectfully, it may be a little naive to believe it's not structured to further separate families. The state has no business coming in and uh, demanding to parents that they no longer are the decision, the primary decision makers in their children's lives. You have a luxury that many parents, mothers and fathers, don't have. I also commend you. It's astonishing to me and extremely, um, extremely impressive that given the fact that you haven't, when I say you haven't been personally touched by this, I'm sure you've been personally touched in a myriad of ways through all the people you've, you've encountered through this uh, horrid system. You're a happily married 30 years, uh, and I'm sure when you say happily married, it's 30 years it takes a bit of work occasionally right you have to you have to put the graft in on both sides and and two daughters you know who are grown up and and say that you are a professional single parent and <laughs> which i think is brilliant if you were to, to wrap it up the presence extender if you could write your own epitaph what might you want it to say in he changed things <laughs> I, I would like to change change a lot of things well, I think it's clear you already have had a major impact in changing, if not humanity, the community of Scotland. Thank you very much for taking the time to join me on The Respondent. Mm. Oh, well, come and, come and visit us when, 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 when they let you out of your country. <laughs> I would love to. I would love to one day shake your hand and thank you for everything that you've done and continue to do for families. You'd be well. Everyone is struggling with something, so please try to be more positive, encouraging of those less fortunate than you, be kinder to others, and particularly yourself. Being human is a condition that requires a little anesthesia. Nothing in between. A pocket oracle of philosophical quotes. Available now at realgregellis.com. 